The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member. And we don't mean your Aunt Dolores. You stink! The TNT Shop has it all at tntradio.live. You're with Lembit Opic on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome back to the show you have to listen to to get your weekend going if you're United Kingdom uh, or to get your evening going if you're in Australia, wherever you are in the world. Good morning. This is the Lemotopic Show, where we kill the spin, we find the facts, and we tell it like it is, and how we see it, separating always facts from opinions. Today, we're looking at a couple of subjects. Uh, Julian Assange, and he featured very heavily uh, on the broadcasting that we did live from the Royal Courts of Justice this week. Uh, great credit to the team and also to the vision of uh, the station manager, uh, Mike Ryan, who could see the importance, the significance of TNT covering this because MSM, the mainstream media, seemed to refuse to do it. And how right he was when I looked at the television and the old legacy media afterwards. It was almost as if the trial hadn't even happened. Thank goodness that here at today's News Talk TNT, we were able to do a live outside broadcast. And credit to everybody who was involved in that. Uh, secondly, uh, we've been seeing uh, the Reform UK conference up in the north of England making a splash, causing trouble for the old legacy politicians because Reform have got into double figures now quite firmly established for now, at least, as the third party of the United Kingdom. Whether that will translate to votes or not, and uh, more specifically seats, is a different question. But it seems likely to me that they will be kingmakers uh, for the next general election, scheduled to be in October or November this year. We'll go back to that subject in just a moment. Uh, I want to talk about something else which has been raised. Uh, First of all, a couple of comments, uh, well, many comments from you. You are absolutely wild with activity on the TNT Radio live chat. You'll find the phone numbers there as well if you want to call in. Uh, we were talking about Reform UK. Annie H says, uh, Richard Tice, the leader of uh, Reform UK, kowtows to the pharmaceuticals with Rothschild's bull. What is Reform's policy on bodily autonomy? I didn't hear Sonia ask Ben. Fair point. I'll see if I can ask that. Uh, the question about uh, uh, essentially the COVID vaccine scam. Uh, if we can get the uh, time with our next guest. Um, Mali Bites pushing the continued war on Ukraine. That is a continuing concern for many. Does Reform UK have a different position on that? Uh, Holly says, fence sitting is not an option now. Have a belief and shout it, for goodness sake. I think that's true, Holly. This got me into trouble in the past, but not trouble I'm ashamed of. There's no point in being in politics if you don't actually stand your ground. Uh, Hidden Truth says... It's all a mere gesture to keep us thinking we have a chance of changing this pathway to prison that the elites have designed many years ago and made people who are loyal to the system uh, uh, gull construct it. I'm not sure what the word is that you're trying to put there, but maybe uh, we go along with that. Uh, uh, if I've misread that, then do clarify it. Uh, just two more. Uh, Holly's agreeing with blodders. And one more for now, uh, designed to look like the new Conservative Party, designed to quash new Labour, which will never happen. That says, that, so says UK listener. Do keep your calls and comments coming on this. There's no way I can keep up with all of these. Question from UK listener. Lembert, do you think the new Conservative Party reform will ever rule the UK? Blairism runs through all. Well, I think I agree with the second part. I think that the, the Blairite agenda was a bit like the Thatcherite agenda. That was a conservative agenda about 30 years ago. The Thatcherite agenda shifted all the British political main parties to the right. 
I think the Blairite agenda pretty much finished Thatcher's work. But then you need to be aware there is the economic axis that's left and right. And then there's the social axis that's authoritarian and libertarian. In my opinion, and it's only my opinion, uh, Reform UK actually does have a slightly more libertarian agenda than what I've seen before. And they seem to be doing a fairly credible fist of it. Uh, but don't ask me. Uh, let's see what the voters do in Rochdale, which is a by-election coming up next Thursday. I expect George Galloway will win that. He is something of a maverick in British politics, but very clearly has spoken out in favour of uh, the Muslim communities. More significantly, the Labour campaign has imploded due to further accusations of anti-Semitism. We haven't got the time to deal with all of that today, but I will certainly be taking a long, hard look at the outcome of the Rochdale by-election. And here's my prediction. Uh, I think that uh, George Galloway, who's for Socialist Party, will come first. I think Simon Danzuk, who's for Reform UK, will come second. But I'm not sure. It could be that Labour still hold on to second place. Time will tell. I want to talk, just before we go on to our next guest, I want to talk a little bit about the Ukraine situation. This morning, as I was preparing, and indeed last night while I was doing the research, I always do before coming on air on TNT, I saw that the military-industrial complex of the West is now saying that Ukraine could lose to Russia if we don't spend more money on military investment. And they're talking about 2% or 2.5%. Uh, of GDP on military investment. Now, that's a huge amount, a 50th or a 40th of the gross domestic product of big countries going into making war. I ask you, is that the best way to do things? If Ukraine is losing, it's not for want of investment. Uh, the war has now been going on there. The conflict has been going on for two years. And anybody with a modicum of understanding of military history knows when you have a very long supply chain, it gets difficult and it gets difficult because you have to move things thousands and thousands of kilometers and fly things in across vast transatlantic routes. While in the case of Russia, they're right next door to the battlefield. And as such, they don't have quite the same problem. It seems to me that the lessons of Vietnam and Iraq and Afghanistan have all been forgotten in this latest proxy war between the West and the East. Quite regardless of where you stand about the rights and wrongs, I'm talking about the logistics. And it is self-evident to anybody who's ever sent a package anywhere in the world that it costs more and it's harder to do if you send it from the UK to America than it is to send it from your house to the house next door. But that's where we stand when it comes to the conflict in Ukraine. And it seems now that the penny's dropping with some politicians because this could be a bottomless pit. I've long said that negotiation is inevitable. Sooner or later, there need to be peace talks. And once again, I'm not prejudging the outcome of those talks. But what I am saying is that when one wages a long-distance war, without necessarily sustaining the optimism or the fighting spirit in one's putative allies, then you don't have victory. You merely have degrees of losing. There's no doubt also that thousands have died on both sides. And for what purpose? When it's quite possible, the outcome will not be a resounding victory for one side or the other, but a referendum in a couple of parts of Ukraine 
and whether they want to secede back into Russia or not. That seems to me the most likely outcome from this particular exploit. And to spend a 40th of the gross domestic product of the West on arming Ukraine will simply forestall that inevitable result. Now, I could be wrong. I've made the prediction to the world live on today's news talk, but I do know something about living in conflict. I grew up in Northern Ireland where 3,200 people were killed from a population of one and a half million. And that led to negotiation and ultimately a kind of uncomfortable peace. I leave it for you to decide where you stand on this and do put your comments in the chat or you can phone up. You will find the numbers on tntradio.live. But all I will say to you now is if I'm wrong, then we'll betide us because we're doomed for a long and bloody war in which there has to be a winner. Much better when we just have less losing, less death and less expenditure on the means of waging war and destabilizing the world. Uh, in a moment, we're going to go back to the Reform UK conference and hear more from uh, Super Chap, uh, Rupert, who's going to give us uh, his insights in the forth about the forthcoming uh, Rochdale by-election and a lot more. All of that uh, with me on the Lembertopic Show right here on TNT. TNT's James Freeman. Now, at the moment, um, the WHO operates in an advisory capacity globally. But all of that will change if amendments to the international health regulations go through, combined with the ratification of a new global pandemic accord. Um, it started off being called as a treaty, but they thought that would frighten everyone. Um, so they now called it a pandemic accord, but it is an international treaty. And if it goes through, it will give the WHO legal powers over all of its members. James Freeman on today's News Talk TNT. This is generally the view of people, oh, we don't know much about Assange. Well, you should know, because whether you know it or not, he is fighting for you. For your courage and leadership and tenacity in journalism and publishing. Since 2010, Assange has been held in progressively narrower, darker, colder and crueler spaces. He has been detained since the 7th of December 2010 in one form or another. And we are now here after years of imprisonment. WikiLeaks is a non-state hostile intelligence service. I think the man is a high-tech terrorist. A high-tech terrorist. A traitor, a treasonist. He has to answer for what he has done. Assange faces up to 175 years in prison for publishing classified documents exposing U.S. war crimes. The U.S. government narrative about Julian is a complete fraud. It is a complete fraud from A to Z. Julian took on the most powerful countries in the world, basically all of them. We now have confirmed that there were plans to kidnap Julian here in the center of London or even assassinate him. No one who instigated that illegal and immoral war has been brought to justice. But the great truth teller sits behind bars. If wars can be started by lies, peace can be started by truth. Julian Assange is a hero. What if everything we thought we knew about somebody was a lie? Would we be willing to go on a new journey of understanding? This is a story of deception 
lies, bravery, and a man who risked everything to bring the truth to light. Mr. Assange shows all the symptoms that are typical for a person that has been exposed to psychological torture over a prolonged period of time. He looked at me intensely and said, I hate to say this. He then hesitated, visibly troubled and searching for words. And then he finally said, please, save my life. May future generations have the ability to speak without restraint. May our children and their children know truth and have access to information that leads to justice. Wherever Julian goes, free speech goes with him. If there is a bird that is about to take flight, stretch her wings and rule the skies, may it be a pista and no longer a bald eagle. If you think Assange is a traitor, he's a rapist, he's a narcissist, he's a hacker, I don't blame you because you have been deceived. And if you think you've not been deceived, that's normal because otherwise it wouldn't be deception. If you're still wearing a cloth or a surgical mask around in public, you're guilty of spreading COVID misinformation. It really is that simple. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Greetings. Welcome back to the Lemidopic Show here on today's News Talk TNT. And I'm very delighted to say we have a superb guest now, a man who knows as much about football as he knows about politics. And uh, he knows penalty shootouts in both cases. It's uh, I think you were one of the last M MEPs, actually. Uh, uh, he's a superb speaker, Rupert Lowe, big friend to TNT. Welcome from Doncaster, north of England, from your Reform UK conference, I understand. Yeah, welcome, welcome, uh, Limit. Um, I've just been greeted by two Saints fans in the car park who are promising me they're looking after my car, which is parked rather precariously in, in a rather <laughs> overfull car park. You must be used to that, though. You were the chairman, weren't you, of uh, Southampton Football Club? I was chairman, yeah, for, for, for a long time. Yes, I built the stadium and built the youth academy. Uh, and, um, yeah, I was there on and off for nearly 10 years. Which is harder, scoring points for Southampton or scoring points for Reform? Well, Reform's putting quite a lot of goals into the back of the net at the moment. Uh, I think um, I think we're on a roll, and I I, I sense that um, having just uh, fought the Kingswood by-election, that Middle England is on the march. I, I I think people can see now quite how deficient our form of government is, uh, and they're getting angry about it. And really, the only power that the voter has is through the ballot box. So what they've got to do, rather than sort of the phlegmatic uh, uh, British voter of the past, they need to start taking the ballot box into their hands and showing Westminster, the civil service, the whole sort of woke charade that we've now got running the country, that they want more longer term planning, better planning, better people. And they want the British people, and particularly the English people, to be put at, top of the, at the top of the agenda. And well, that's, that's not been happening then. It's a mess. I want, the whole thing and is... Sorry, I interrupted you twice. I wanted to talk about the Kingswood by-election, where you were the candidate for uh, Reform UK. Uh, I went to university at Bristol, and sometimes I've seen it as a bit of a weather vane for 
British politics. And congratulations, you got, I believe, 10.4%. So you got double figures, which is roughly three times what the Liberal Democrats got. Well done. It's a pretty impressive result. And, and they, lost, they lost their deposit limits. limits. So they, they, the Greens did quite well. As you probably know, Kingswood, it, there's some very nice people there, but it's a very overdeveloped suburb of Bristol. Uh, Bristol, as you know, is extremely left-leaning. And I think we did incredibly well, considering that, that we had a very small team. We entered the race late. Uh, and uh, we did, I think, more than we could have expected to do. Uh, we were widely expected to lose our deposit. Uh, and to achieve 10.4%, I think, was was pretty satisfactory. I think we ranked 350th in, in, in reform target seats in Kingswood. But then it was a slightly um, exceptional situation where the aptly named uh, Mr. Skidmore uh, decided that he didn't want to uh, continue as an MP for various uh, conflict reasons. Um, and he stood down, which has cost the taxpayer a quarter of a million pounds. Um, I did ask him to repay it, but I uh, haven't heard anything from him. Uh, <laughs> oh. And I equally offered to donate my entire MP salary were I to be elected to Kingswood Charities, which again, I don't think met with a lot of support from the main parties, but I, I thought it was um, it, it was something that was only fair, given that the constituency disappears in probably October when we have the general election. Uh, yes, uh, and so in congratulating you for uh, what was clearly a pretty impressive result, uh, and I say that as somebody who understands politics, it's, it's a really good result. Uh, you also seem to have eaten primarily into the Conservative vote, but I would guess three quarters of the reform vote comes from Labour, but maybe from Conservatives and one quarter from Labour. But do you have a feel for what the split is from those parties, or is it actually coming from the Lib Dems? Well, uh, in Kingswood, I suspect some came from the Lib, Lib Dems. I mean, their candidate was pretty underwhelming. Uh, Clearly, the majority comes from the Tories simply because they're in power. But I think uh, Keir Starmer's Labour Party, to me, is wide open for us to now um, turn the howitzers on and start to win some major votes from them. Uh, I mean, if you yeah. look at the shadow cabinet, uh, it, to me, it's, it's just a joke. I, I mean, Starmer himself, human rights lawyer, you've got uh, Angela Rayner. Uh, sort of rabid left winger. You've got David Lammy, who just makes a hell of a lot of noise, and then there's a there's a raft of other very average people behind behind him, who frankly, uh, if they get into power, and God forbid us, God God help us if they do, uh, they will just take us completely over the cliff edge. I mean, we're already teetering on it, and uh, they will just be the final push that takes us over. And unfortunately, yeah, want... it probably will require all that damage before. The British electorate um, actually can see that they are not the answer, and so that's why I'm I'm standing for. I, I'm 66, uh, for goodness' sake, Lambert. I've I've got my pension, but I I do feel that this country, if it doesn't change course imminently, then it's just going to uh, self-immolate. And I, I can't see, and I run a lot of businesses. I can't see very many positives out there right now. Yes, uh, and uh, Keir Starmer's extraordinary, and in my view, indefensible intervention, which ultimately compromised the Speaker of the House, who should have known better, but nevertheless was being pressurised by his own party leader. Uh, that, to me, is the crime of, of the week. 
uh, and Lindsay Hoyle's capitulation uh, is an indication of the fact that Keir Starmer is still, still willing to, to, in my view, try to coerce uh, a speaker who should be independent into doing something which left them both with egg on their face. Not sure what you think about that that little fiasco. I don't think anybody knows truly what Keir Starmer thinks. Uh, as I said, he's a human rights lawyer, which in itself, uh, you know, he played a part in effectively the payment of, 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 of various stipends to illegal immigrants. I mean, he, he back in, I think it was 2003, you know, he was the uh, DPP uh, when uh, the issue of the post office arose. You know, I don't think he's a sound chap. Uh, and all he's got to do at the moment is keep his powder dry, uh, not say very much, and hope that um, that he's elected by default rather than because he's 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 a great guy who's going to lead us into the promised land. Uh, I mean, the problem we've got, as you know, uh, is with the with the first past the post two party system. It's I liken it to the Titanic. We're sort of shuffling the red chairs and the blue chairs on the deck of the Titanic, but nobody's actually looking out for the iceberg that we're about to smash into. Uh, and everybody will then go down to the bottom of the ocean uh, and, and die a very cold, sort of horrible death. But, you know, I, I look at uh, the woke civil service. I look at, you know, nothing working, you know, whether it's the probate office, whether it's DV, DVLA, whether it's uh, land registry, whether it's the National Health Service, whether, I mean, you, you can just go on and on and on. We've got more and more civil servants, more and more state, and less and less service for the British people who are funding this ridiculous uh, state largesse through higher taxes. And many of them are struggling to, to pay their bills. So it's, the, it's, a, it's a recipe for radical reform, I think, uh, uh, Lembit, and it's, it's beginning to happen, which is, which is encouraging. Yeah, I was involved in the Liberal Democrats at a time when they were liberal and democratic in the late 80s, early 90s. And uh, I remember the party was at 3% in the opinion polls, famously, with a, with a statistical variation of plus or minus 4%. And somehow myself and maybe about half a dozen other people built the party to briefly I think being a principled party, now it's become some kind of a blancmange, um, a very faint uh, character of its former self. Now, Reform UK does seem to be in a similar position to where the Lib Dems were in, in the early 90s. Well, in the European Parliament, uh, the Lib Dems were absolute shockers. Uh, I mean, without exception, um, to the extent that uh, this fleet of black Mercedes cars that used to pick us up from the station uh, if a, if a Brexit Party MEP was there, the Lib Dems refused to share the car with us. I mean, that is absolutely ridiculous. But that's the sort of people that they are. Uh, so, um, thankfully, the 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 largesse of the uh, European electorate meant that there was another black Mercedes not far behind, so they could afford the luxury of turning down a lift with us. <laughs> uh, so, uh, well, that, on, and on that point, by the way, uh, I meant to raise this this environmental bleating. Uh, I'm on record as saying that from a scientific perspective, believing that human beings are wrecking the climate is it's actually scientifically illiterate. Uh, and I was quite pleased to see the Greens staggering at 5.8%, even though Skidmore spent a very large proportion of his time in Parliament talking about a climate crisis. Uh, I feel that Reform UK has the opportunity to call this out and probably get quite a lot of support when people realise that things like... Uh, 
uh, electric vehicles will be forced upon us, even though we haven't got the infrastructure to charge them. They don't have the range. When they catch fire, you can't put them out. And petrol is still the best way of, of carrying high density energy without risking incinerating your kids in a toxic mess. Um, I, I would say, I, I feel, this is my opinion, uh, I feel that the green uh, cult is declining a bit. And part of the encouraging result in Wellingborough and, and uh, Kingswood is a party that clearly says there is no climate crisis, like Reform UK is doing quite well. Am I Am I just seeing what I want to see? Or did you have a sense of that on the ground? Uh, well, I, I think... Um... Uh, obviously, my, my view on this is quite straightforward, and, and, and like most reform policies, is common sense. So having studied geology, which I did at school, uh, clearly the world has heated up and cooled down way before man was even th thought of. I mean, you know, a billion years ago, pre-Cambrian times, uh, the world, thanks to volcanic activity largely, that's what drives the, the heating and cooling and also the position of the sun. However, that doesn't mean to say that man shouldn't be responsible about the way that we live our lives and we minimize the amount of pollution that we, we cause. But for me, uh, we are a minor part of it. Nature is a far more powerful uh, beast and we flatter ourselves to think that we are the be-all and the end-all of uh, whether or not the planet is going to uh, heat up beyond. Uh, and by the way, we're not actually as hot as we have been in the past. We're still relatively cool. So my view is we've got to get China, uh, India, Indonesia, those countries, we've got to stop them building coal-fired coal -fired power stations before we start taxing and destroying our own economy uh, and therefore undermining our global influence. I think they're also the people who are largely now releasing plastics into the oceans, which I think is far more serious than, than in many ways uh, the carbonization. I mean, carbon is a factor of growth, you know, being a farmer, you can't grow plants don't grow without carbon so i actually i actually think with a rational uh, thought process this can be dealt with but it's got to be dealt with in the most populous parts of the world where they do the most polluting and by yes. the way america pollutes far more than we do so uh, yes. it, it needs to also uh, include them too yeah, I don't want to detain you too much on this subject because we cover this extensively on other occasions and Reform UK is really the subject matter today. It does seem to me, in my opinion, that uh, it's right to be prudent with scarce resources, but it's wrong to panic children and make people think that the world's ending. The era of global boiling, as Gutierrez idiotically stated in the United Nations. Uh, uh, it was quite, it's quite clear to me... Go ahead. It's an exercise in brainwashing that's been going on. And, um, you know, for, for states to control their populations, uh, people have to believe that, that this is a real crisis. But uh, mm -hmm. uh, and control is made much easier if people are, uh, are basically malleable and they share this belief. And I think the trouble is, and again, I've got four children, a lot of the young people are incapable of uh, understanding that there is another side to the debate. And most of them won't even stop to consider what that mm -hmm. is. Uh, so I, I think it's, it's a question of really whether the taxpayers are prepared to fund this, this sort of movement, which ultimately is going to destroy our economy, as I say. And, you know, if China, India, Indonesia and the populous parts of the world continue to build coal-fired power stations and pollute, uh, you know, they're just laughing at our, our virtue signaling, which in the end will further aid the self-immolation of the country, which I've just been talking about. Uh, and it's that 
which leads me to my next uh, question. Uh, I understand quite clearly from speaking to some of your colleagues that you choose to uh, abandon this, in my view, balmy net zero target and have a more, more sensible economic policy. What do you make of this jostling between the Conservatives and Labour, which caused many people to describe them as a uni party, a party which could be led by Rishi Sunak and Keir Starmer, because there's no real difference? Well, as I said to you, I, I think what's happened is the uh, two-party system, as I call it, a two-party state that we've got, uh, with this shuffling of chairs on the, on the deck of the Titanic, uh, ultimately, the media plays a part in this, and also the selection of, of MPs, which I, I blame what I call the four horsemen of the apocalypse, which is Blair, Brown, Campbell and Mandelson, followed by, 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 by David Cameron. So what they did was they hollowed out the, the House of Commons uh, based on quotas, not on ability. Uh, and whether it was sex, whether it was colour, whether it was religion, whatever, they wanted quotas. Uh, and I don't agree with that. I, I think we should have a House of Commons uh, made up of people who have the ability to partake in planning long term for the United Kingdom. And that's not what we've got. So I, I agree with you. I, I don't think there's very much difference between the two parties. I think it's all basically part of this same problem that we've got, which reform is hoping to change. And we're... we're we're seeing Middle England, decent Middle England, doesn't share the views of what I call the, the sort of woke arty. Uh, they ultimately are quite common sense, logical people, but they are uh, very slow to react. But I sense they are reacting now. And from my uh, canvassing in Kingswood, I think there's a lot of anger. And I think woe betide the two major parties if they ignore uh, what is happening to reform in the polls. I think I think it's just starting. And I don't think that many of them understand that, Len, but I, th I think they spend their lives paddling around in what I call the Westminster cesspit, uh, you know, charging around from one radio car to another. And they spout rubbish uh, one week, and then they've forgotten what they've said by the end of the following week. And I don't think there's any principled government taking place. There's no long-term planning. There's no strategy. You only have to look at our energy policy. You only have to look at, you know, the fact we've, we're very soon not going to be able to make our own fertilizers. We're not going to be able to use our own energy. We're having to import energy. We, we are basically opening ourselves up strategically to being to being basically uh, either overrun or or or, or blackmailed. So. That is not what leaders should be doing. They should be. And, you know, I just, just came from a meeting this week of my, on, on, on my farm. And they are beginning now, having done nothing for four years other than confuse farmers. They are now chucking money at farming. There's no doubt about that. Then, but, but what they're not doing is they're not chucking money at food security. What they're chucking money at is environmentalism. They're taking land out of production. They are literally paying farmers to remove land, this is top grade land. Give you an example. There's one 750 acre grade one farm that is being paid shed loads to rehabilitate beavers, for goodness sake. So they're gonna flood the land, stop growing uh, crops and food. And the next thing is there's going to be a food crisis. And, and suddenly, you know, we're already seeing Ukraine at the moment, food's still cheap because grain is pouring out of Ukraine. It's the only thing they can sell to fund the war. 
But trust me, the plantings in Ukraine are way, way down. And sooner or later, there's going to be a big shortage. They're a huge grain basket. That's what that's what Victorian Britain fought the Crimean War about, basically the Crimean yeah. grain belt. We wanted grain supplies for our Victorian Britain that was basically uh, industrializing and people needed food. So that's what the Crimea War was about. And that's what we're talking about in Ukraine now. So I can see maybe we see the, these surplus stocks of grain being dumped, which they are at the moment. But suddenly then we're going to find there's going to be a shortage of grain just at the time when our, our government's paying farmers to take land out of production. I mean, how clever are they going to look then? A couple of quick ones then. Uh, in terms of policy, it's quite clear that you oppose the, um, in my view, the, I agree with you, the destruction of our economic uh, agricultural base on the basis of this this woke green agenda. Where do you stand in terms of electric vehicles and, and energy policy? Um, well, if I tell you a story about one of our staff who, I mean, we run some contracting businesses and we have people who have to drive all over the country. And one of the chaps who runs our business, his Vol diesel Volvo had to go and be serviced and they lent him an electric car. And he said he has never in a week had a, nearly had as many nervous breakdowns as he did when he had the electric car because he had to plan to drive all over the country. Whenever he stopped at the charging points, they were all full. He couldn't charge the car. And he said never before has he been so relieved to have his Volvo diesel Volvo back where he can fill the tank up and then drive 500 miles without having to worry about where he can get charged. So, look, in theory, as we know, making batteries pollutes. It uses vast amounts of, of lithium, uh, lots of other heavy metals. And at the end of the day, it, it, we are just, again, virtue signaling to think that making uh, electric cars, which, by the way, have collapsed in price uh, recently, um, is the right thing to be doing. Uh, it, it, it isn't really. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't see that electric cars at the moment are fit for purpose. If you're running a business, you're traveling around the country, and you need to move long distances quickly, uh, it, it's, not, it's not the right vehicle. But that doesn't stop bit like politicians forced us all to drive diesel cars then bit and then suddenly what happened diesel became enemy number one. Oh dear i mean look central planning as we know never works never has worked never will work you have to let the individual decide what they want what's good for them and the problem we've got is these these people in parliament actually don't do anything other than create more laws more red tape more regulation uh, more tax more civil servants, less service. They actually get in the way of uh, a country generating wealth and, and making sense. So, you know, let's, let's all understand that um, when the communists were in power, they thought they could plan to put factory here, factory there, workforce here, workforce there. What happened to communism after two generations? It imploded. And that is ultimately what happens when you get too much statism. And we're there. Rupert, you know, that's what we've got in Britain. We've got far Rupert, too many uh, people lecturing us all. Rupert Lowe, thank you so much for joining us. And we are going to get into policy areas with our next guest, Anne Widdicombe. Really appreciate it. Enjoy your conference. Look forward to having you on quite soon and as well. She's looking very, very powerful. <laughs> uh, I know. I can feel her presence from here, Rupert. So I better not detain you any further. Otherwise, we'll all be in trouble. Uh, as you
and yourself thank you very much that's rupert low in just a moment after the thank break you very much, speak. thank you rupert enjoy your conference uh we're going to have uh i'm going to come in just a minute after the break here on the lembertobic show on tnt don't go anywhere this is weaponizing weather with reality and perspective the united states has really been sold a bill of goods and i've talked about this several times i've talked about the people that are running this country are literally bullying the United States. And it's hard to believe that the American people actually let them get away with it, except that if you watch, let's say, Jesse Waters' prime time sometimes, and you see the man on the street interviews, you realize these people, and they're all voting, know nothing about what's going on. Or maybe even less than nothing, if that's possible. Now, it's fascinating. We talked about the coal plant issue a couple of days ago. How have carbon emissions changed since 2000. China is up 208%. India is up 158%. Other countries are up 53%. The US is down 10%. Europe is down 16%. Now, here is the question. How is the United States letting these other countries get away with it? And it's kind of simple to understand that the complacency and comfort of the capitalist system and freedom that has developed in the United States is building the road it's riding to its own death. Why? Because they're allowing our leaders to simply do whatever they want to do while other countries get away with it. And you want to know something? I don't have anything against China and India for trying to improve their way of life. But why is it the United States and Europe are committing suicide? This is TNT climate and weather watchdog meteorologist Joe Bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you got. Around here, bushfire is just a part of life. We've been through it before and we'll get through it again. The people here all look out for each other. We're a community that does its bit to plan and prepare to keep everyone safe. We live with bushfire, so we live bushfire ready. This is the Limbit Opic Show on today's News Talk TNT Radio. Great. Welcome back for the final part of my show today. I promised you high quality. We couldn't get better than my next guest. Uh, it's Anne Whittacombe. Uh, where Anne Whittacombe goes, the public listen. You have always have to take seriously her decisions because she tends to have a finger on the pulse of what the country needs. And great to see you. Thanks for joining us here on today's News Talk. Uh, really great to see you. Uh, we served in Parliament together. Both of us have made a journey since then. And you found yourself with Reform UK. Many of our viewers are putting in the chat. Uh, what are the policies of reform that have convinced you that this is your home? Well, first of all, reform stands for common sense, proportionality, um, rather than the sort of wokery uh, and um, identity politics and all the rest of it that have actually disfigured um, politics in this country. So uh, that is the first thing. Of course, reform was born from the Brexit party. I had become a very, very convinced Brexiteer uh, during the course of the referendum. And I was furious that politicians thereafter just didn't implement what the public had voted for and found every last excuse not to do so. Uh, and so uh, that was what 
caused me to join the Brexit Party. Uh, then when the Brexit Party morphed into reform, I wasn't initially certain that that was the route I wanted to go on. I actually, and unbelievably, although I didn't rejoin them, gave the Tories another chance, thought, well, I'll see what's going to happen. I saw and I uh, joined reform. And so this is where we find you now in a party which has clearly grown very quickly. My old party, the Lib Dems, languished in lost deposit mode. And for those who aren't familiar, that means getting less than 5% in both the recent by-elections. But reform recorded double figures. Now, a lot of people in the Conservatives tell me that reform is a flash in the pan. It doesn't seem like that to me. What is sustaining the growth of your party, do you think? Well, I think what sustains it is that as people become uh, ever more uh, knowledgeable about what our policies are, because when we started, people were saying to us on doorsteps, you know, I've never heard of you. What are you? What are you about? Uh, interestingly, uh, I was campaigning in, in both the recent uh, by-elections. Uh, and interestingly, I only got that once, whereas I used to get it you know, all the time. Uh, and I think people are convinced by our immigration policy. I mean, it's common sense. You know, you need to stop the votes. You need to stop the votes. Uh, and if they do get through, then uh, what you've got to do is to remove the magnet which draws people here. Now, what is that magnet? I mean, after all, they're in a safe country like France. You know, well, what's so great about Britain um, that they want to come here? And the answer is it is just about the easiest uh, a place in the West in which to disappear because we don't have national identity cards, we don't practice routine detention, but we do have a flourishing uh, underground economy. Uh, and therefore, the message that goes out is, if you come to Britain, you're very, very unlikely ever to be removed. Now, we want to reverse that message to send out a deterrent message, which is, if you come to Britain, you will be detained. So our first policy is we want secure uh, reception centers for all asylum seekers, all new asylum seekers, into secure reception centers, not spending billions on housing them in hotels from which they can just scarper when they think they're about to be refused. Uh, and uh, that is the, the first policy. So the message goes out, if you come to Britain, you'll be detained. You'll be dealt with quickly because we will speed up the processes. Or you'll be dealt with quickly and you will be sent back. Or indeed, you might be sent to Rwanda or you might be sent uh, to any other safe country that will take you, but you will be sent away from Britain. You won't be able to stay here. That is the message that we need to send out loud and clear. Only reform is proposing uh, universal detention of all new asylum seekers. And I haven't just dreamt that up, you know, out of a clear blue sky while I was idly thinking. I actually served as immigration officer in the Home Office in the 1990s, and I know that the view there was at the time amongst civil servants, amongst ministers, anybody else, the only solution to this is to have universal detention because it is a deterrent. It was known back then. I proposed it in 1999 when I was shadow Home Secretary. I proposed it then as a policy. Uh, you know, where's it gone? Why hasn't it been done if we started 30 years ago? Think where we'd been at. Now, this is the interesting point. Uh, we were talking with Rupert Lowe about the fact that, uh, like me, uh, Reform UK doesn't take, doesn't believe in the climate crisis scam. Uh, and it seems to me obvious and for any sensible person to recognize that human beings can't be wrecking the climate. It's, it's as egocentric as assuming Earth's at the center of the universe. And the Reform UK 
migration policy said sounds like what the conservatives should be saying why aren't the conservatives at least uh, employing something which you yourself have described as a former minister i've no idea I, I don't know why they haven't followed this policy in case anybody thinks that, you know, it was me being rogue and being right wing and you know nobody else agreed with me. Um, I might point out that Oliver Letwin, who was on the left of the Conservative Party by any definition, uh, Oliver Letwin, who succeeded me as Shadow Home Secretary, adopted that policy as well of universal detention. Uh, but he then took it a stage further. Oliver Letwin took it a stage further and said, we will try to find um, overseas places for these people to be processed. Uh, now, the government has finally, uh, several decades later, uh, come up with Rwanda. But as we all know, Rwanda isn't happening at the moment. I do believe, I mean, I share the government's view that if Rwanda could be got off the ground, it would be a deterrent. But it ain't being got off the ground. And meanwhile, people are coming and they're coming in their tens of thousands. Now, the uh, other embarrassment for the Conservative Party is that we'll talk about Labour in a minute, but the Conservative Party is that there was record migration into the UK last year when the Conservatives were in power and to a large part promised they'd deal with migration. How did that happen? Uh, well, in the same way that this was a party that promised lower taxes, that have raised taxes to record levels. This is a party that has always put itself forward as the party of law and order. We've got record levels of crime, particularly gun and knife crime. So it shouldn't be surprising that the party which said it was the one to bring immigration under control has actually presided over record levels of immigration. I'm afraid it's a very, very inadequate parliament. I mean, it isn't just the Conservative Party, it's parliament. It's now very second rate. Um, we gave up selecting on merit years ago in order to get more women more ethnics, more gays, more whatever you want to say, into Parliament. That is all very worthy. And I'm not going to be against that. But you do it after people have reached the merit bar, not before. And I was actually in a Conservative selection uh, committee. I was actually there, saw it with my own eyes, when we were not allowed to have the shortlist we wanted, which was three men and, and one woman. Uh, we had to have two of each. So we were told we had to take out a man and put in a woman who was eight or nine people behind him uh, in order to uh, get a balanced selection committee. Now, you know, I've seen it. We all know that Labour had all women shortlists. So Parliament, instead of being based on merit, is now being based on identity politics. And over time, it didn't happen overnight, but over time, that has meant we've got second raters, sometimes even third raters in Parliament. In the House of Lords, we've got a teenager. Uh, the civil service are, are, are just as bad. I can remember a really first class foreign office, for example, you know, which was the envy of the world. Well, not that. So uh, yeah. if you ask what's happening, what's happening is we haven't got good people running the show. Yeah, I, I feel very much against positive discrimination, something sadly the Liberal Democrats endlessly wrestled with, and we are paying the price. I think also because we have career politicians who have never done anything else and don't seem to really have the finger on the pulse of the public. Uh, Holly says Rwanda is a load of rubbish. He agrees with you. A question from Mali Baitsan. And as you say, reform stands for common sense. Then where was the common sense in Richard Tice's view on the unjabbed. Uh, this is a question about uh, COVID. A lot of our viewers are very sceptical about the jabbing agenda and the way that COVID was, in their view, mishandled in this country. Where does reform stand on this? Well, I mean, the simple fact is that um, if you're looking at the vaccination processes, 
we were in what was regarded at the time as a worldwide emergency. Now, you've got to remember that. You know, you are, imagine yourself, you are a government, you are dealing with something that isn't even just rife in Britain, it's rife across the world, different countries are taking different approaches, none of them seem to be working uh, immediately. Uh, and you're trying to work out uh, what uh, to do. Uh, and vaccinations come on stream, and a lot of scientists say they're all right. The government did not compel anybody to be vaccinated. Um, that is the first thing that, that we have to admit. Uh, so when you talk about common sense, what I believe is in freedom. You should be given the facts. You know, fact number one, this was an experimental vaccine. Uh, fact number two, uh, it's up to you whether you have it or not. Here are the pros and here are the cons. Um, we didn't hear the cons. Uh, but uh, I, you know, I think in that level of emergency, uh, expecting any government of whatever party of whatever country to get it 100% right is in itself not common sense. Uh, the uh, situation was made worse, though, by the very poor optics of seeing a prime minister who looked like he was misleading people, saying, do as I say, not as I do, and having a health secretary who violated his own rules on CCTV. Uh, I don't want to get too far down this path, I, but uh, go ahead. I'm, uh, you know, I'm sorry, but not prepared to indulge in those sorts of politics, which are based okay. on personal destruction. Now, look, let's have a bit of common sense around the place. You know, those people had been in the office all day with files. In the evening, they gathered with a drink. Same people, you know, holding a drink instead of a file. Uh, I cannot get uptight about it. What I was concerned about and what we should all be concerned about is not what happened then. It's what we've learned from COVID mm -hmm. that we can apply in the future. You know, people have, some people have suffered from the vaccines. Let's apply that knowledge. Other people have done very well on the vaccines. Let's apply that knowledge. Uh, Sweden didn't lock down, doesn't appear to have suffered from it. Let's apply that lesson. It's what we do in the future that matters, not this endless personal destruction of who did what that was wrong during COVID. Yeah, it's, I think it's the double standards I people are concerned own, about. I mean, I, yeah, I, let, me, let me say this. I made my own decisions throughout. I don't think it was double standards. People were allowed to be in the same workplace. You know, if, as I say, if they chose to have a drink rather than a file, I can't get uh, uptight about that. But I made my own decisions throughout, and I had one, just one uh, um, criterion, which was, would I be doing anything that was going to contribute to the spread of COVID or make it more likely that I would catch it? So, for example, I didn't wear a mask. Uh, I only did so in strictly in health settings where I saw the reasons for it. Uh, but I didn't wear a mask, and therefore uh, I took routes to ensure that I didn't have to. So I didn't travel by train. I drove everywhere. Um, if I had been uh, isolating for three weeks and a friend of mine had been isolating for three weeks and we hadn't met anybody and we could meet each other without compromising any third party, well, we did. We did. You know, people have to use common sense. Keir Starmer would give you exactly that argument. He broke, you know, the strict rules. He was seen uh, socialising with party workers at the end of a hard day's work. He said it was a work event. Boris Johnson said it was a work event. One lot of police decided it was, and one lot of police decided it wasn't. Well, where do you yeah. get? Where do you get? Uh, All a load of nonsense, and none of it is safer. 
it, that that being an interesting conversation, which we probably need to leave for now, because I want to finish one more on one more point. Point. Uh, Wellingborough and uh, Kingswood by elections were very successful, comparatively successful for Reform UK. We have one more where uh, the Labour Party has imploded. This is in Rochdale. The Conservative candidate's been on holiday. Uh, the Lib Dem candidate's nice, but doesn't seem to be visible. This seems to be a two-horse race between George Galloway, who's from a socialist party, and Simon Danzuk, who's from Reform UK. Uh, what will we learn from this? Do you think? I don't. I, I don't want to put you on the spot, but do you think that there will be a meaningful lesson from this forthcoming elect by election? Well, I think there are lots of meaningful lessons from this forthcoming by election. But what I hope that Simon is concentrating on is just getting the reform message across and reform policies across, and not getting involved in the uh, the, the personalities uh, and and in the problems that the other parties have. I mean, Labour has just torn itself apart. Uh, and revealed itself for what it is. And uh, I can't believe that the voters of Rochdale haven't noticed that. Yeah, Simon, I watched an interview. You were talking about personal personality politics, and I saw Simon being dragged around in the state-sponsored media yesterday, which I found distasteful, actually, because it didn't seem in any way relevant to Rochdale. Uh, you've been to Rochdale, I guess. What's your feeling of the mood? Is it similar to Wellingborough and and Kingswood, where people are disillusioned with the existing parties? Uh, well, first of all, you guessed wrong. I haven't yet been to Rochdale. Oh, sorry. Uh, I went <laughs> <Okay>. to the... <laughs> I said yet. I went to the other two by-elections. Um, this one I haven't yet managed to get to, but I'm, I'm pretty certain that I will. Uh, but even if I don't, uh, I saw enough in Wellingsborough, in Wellingborough and Kingswood. Uh, I went to Wellingborough first at the very start of the by-election campaigns. Um, I went to Kingswood towards the end of the by-election campaigns. Uh, and whereas in Wellingborough, uh, people were still saying, who are you? Kingswood, only one person, the whole campaign said that. Uh, and uh, I reckon if I'd said to that person, you know, do you know who the Labour Party is? They'd probably say no as well. Uh, they were fairly <laughs> clueless. But Will you be standing again for Parliament? No, no, Lambert, spare me. Spare me, I'm 76. <laughs> I won't be standing again. Supposing I won. I'd be 81 and still doing constituency surgeries. I wouldn't be up to it. Uh, and uh, either up to it or up for it. Uh, let me contribute in my own way from where I am. Young enough to be American president, though, Anne. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm not recommending that as a career path for either of us. <laughs> Real pleasure to see you, Anne. I hope you enjoy your conference. Sounds like it's very positive up there. And uh, look forward to having you on in a few weeks' time when we review how you did in Rochdale. Thanks so much for taking the time to be on today's Bye. News Talk TNT. That Thank is you. Anne Widdicombe. We were uh, all the best to you. That's Anne Widdicombe, who always speaks in an erudite way. Hopefully, we covered the policy areas as well. Fascinating to hear her take. Let's see what happens in Rochdale. Well, my time with you is up for today. Thanks so much for joining me. I'll be back at 0900 tomorrow for three hours of news and comment. Just two today uh, with me live. Uh, I hope that uh, you have a great day. Thanks for all the comments. You've been so lively, so active on the chat. I didn't get to ask all of your questions, uh, but you can watch the outcome of the Reform UK party. Interesting to see how much the mainstream media will cover it. I'll be doing a round robin about that tomorrow. Enjoy the rest of your day. Enjoy the next hour very much as well. I'll be back at 0900 GMT. That's the Lemberdopic show here on TND, today, today's News Talk Live. See you tomorrow.